Hi, it's David Aver with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. On today's show, we've got Adam Contos, the CEO of Remax, the worldwide leader in real estate. We're going to talk disruption. We're going to talk technology and empowered engagement experiences for the agents and the buyers and the sellers. We're going to talk about SWAT teams blowing up stuff and breaking down doors. You have found the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Averin. Hey, friends, thanks and welcome to the show today. Uh, this is going to be a good one, a good conversation. We're going to talk about technology and and uh, and human behavior and what's happened during the pandemic and otherwise, depending on when you're listening to this or watching this online. Yes, I am on day whatever of my, my COVID hair. You know, before all this, I had really spiky hair and a really short beard, and I was about 25 pounds heavier. And so my hair got longer and my belly got shorter. And my wife was asking, she's like, so what, what, what are you trying to do with this beard thing? What's, what's, I said, I think it's sort of like a caveman meets rabbi meets rapidly aging lumberjack. I don't know. Adam's still looking very groomed and everything else. Let me take you back a couple of years ago. I had the great opportunity to present for the big Remax convention in Las Vegas. Uh, phenomenal. I mean, what, a, what a, an incredible community, like 120,000 plus agents in this great whole ecosystem that that supports the Remax world and and different vendors and and others through the trade show, but it was all sort of like Remax world. Damon John did the did the main stage, killed it, just awesome. But since then, um, I had an opportunity to be invited to uh, have a conversation with Adam Contos on his podcast, which is called Start with a Win. Great one. We're going to talk about that in his upcoming book and everything else. Uh, but we've also had a chance to uh, to develop a, a, a nice friendship as well. And so I am having him on my podcast. Long introduction, Adam Contos, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, David. And and little bit of knowledge. We didn't know we're practically neighbors, man. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, like really close. Like even the part where we work out at the same gym. Now, I, I make a point of working out at some measure of a distance just so that people, if they see us next to each other, they realize that I'm sort of like the before picture and he is the after brawny, very handsome man and everything else. So um, Adam, during this time, you know, and, and we've, we kind of both have, have spent a lot of time on our studios and everything else because we've had to be distanced. Now, once again, depending on when it is you're listening to this, uh, the world has changed. And so uh, as we've watched, some industries have been, greatly affected, decimated, right? Travel, meetings industry that I'm a big part of, of course, restaurants have suffered and the people have suffered in such a great way. But real estate is one of those interesting outliers because of sort of a combination of forces through low interest rates and, and people being more mobile. Talk to me about what has happened to the industry. What was surprising to you? What was reaffirming for you? And, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your background as well. Sure, David. So before the co before COVID hit, everything was going great. Uh, real estate had its probably first or best first quarter in a decade in uh, 2020. So Q1 of 2020 was amazing in real estate. And real estate's, you know, as you know, a, a immensely entrepreneurial based yeah. uh, based industry. So we have 1.4 million realtors in the U.S. Members of the United, uh, National Association of Realtors. Probably, I don't know, twice that of other people that are licensed in real estate. But ultimately, it was a great first quarter. And then COVID hit. And a lot of real estate was deemed non-essential. A lot of people had to shut down or uh, figure out a way to do real estate otherwise. So we had, about, we had about two months where we couldn't do any real estate business. And then we took and emerged from COVID. And real estate's been kind of one of the leading economic uh, recovery pieces coming out of COVID, and we're getting ready to to, to slow down a little bit here. However, I don't think real estate's going to slow down at all uh, because we figured out how to do this remotely, how to be uh, virtual, use video, uh, remote communication, things like that with our customers, and be more efficient, yet even more effective 
uh, as a real estate market has continued to pick up throughout 2020. Well, so and talk to me a little bit about that. In terms of being effective, there are some things that we've learned during the pandemic that you know some things i think people are biding their time waiting things to go back in other cases we've learned that some of this works there are some things that we can do remotely there are certain things that we need to do face to face talk to me about some of the changes talk to me about what do what do you attribute the uh, the resurgence was it simply a matter of economics and the fact that that interest rates were low and that brought a lot of people into the market but where were some of the uh, uh the behavioral and the logistical things that helped to contribute to that as well well, let me approach this from two perspectives. One is from the perspective of the consumer. Why should I sell or buy my house during this time? And then the other one is, how is the real estate agent making the real estate marketplace work? And both of those are really interesting perspectives. Take the consumer piece. There are about a dozen different tailwinds to the real estate industry right now. Not just, hey, we're in COVID and I want to buy a new house or interest rates are low or something like that. It's, it's a combination of things that, that has the foundation around. We have the largest home buying sector uh, emerging in, in the millennial uh, age group that we've ever had. So we have more people who want and are capable of buying houses than in the history of the world. So that, I mean, just take that in and of itself, add to the fact that they, a lot of them have paid down or paid off their, um, their student loans. They have wealth. Uh, accumulated or saved up, they're getting married, they're having kids, they want a dog, they want to move to the suburbs. All of these things are stacking up. And we saw this coming for probably five to 10 years. So it just, it all hit about the same time as COVID. So that aside, COVID comes and shuts down uh, most industries, let's say. And real estate agents being entrepreneurial have figured out, oh, I need to involve myself in this digital interaction with the consumer because a real estate the transaction itself, as are a lot of different industry transactions, more complicated, more litigious, more risky, more expensive than ever before. So how do I accommodate those aspects? And probably more daunting from a buyer's perspective as well, especially for these yeah. new buyers coming in, right? But yeah. on one hand, that the whole transaction is daunting, but the other one is they're very comfortable with the technology, aren't they? Absolutely. So yeah, you're absolutely right, David. You've got a consumer who's extraordinarily comfortable with uh, the efficiencies and effectiveness of that, that communication base. But ultimately, what you have also is you have a willing business uh, foundation that wants to learn those things and employ them, you know, like video calls and video tours and 3D and, and uh, virtual and things like that. So um, it's, it's all working together well in order for us to accommodate working around the pandemic. How, how much of that do you think was this, this sort of shift to some of the digital aspects and the communication was almost a, a frantic response to try and make sure that there was a way to engage? And how much of that was just an acceleration of what has long been in the works and predicted? I, I think a lot of it was a response because we put off what we don't have to make change to right. And you, you look like the first video call was in 1964. Well, I mean, what's, what's our excuse for not making video calls until COVID if the first one was in 1964? I mean, Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone 4 with FaceTime June 7th of 2010. That was a decade ago. So why haven't we started using that more? Well, you know, some of us did. We would talk to our kids in college or you know people out on deployment in the military or whatever. But David, I, I'll right. tell you, I never made a FaceTime call with you. I'm like, hey, let's hop on FaceTime. It just, it wasn't there yeah. until now. And now we're like, hey, let's do a video call real quick and catch up. So um, it, it's these different little catalysts that happen or big catalysts that happen in society that force us to realize that this is available and uh, much needed technology in order for us to have this interpersonal communication that we're capable of having. So as you, as you look at sort of this biggest bubble in history, the millennials who are coming of age, who have the resources, when COVID hit, was that just literally just a minor pause on what was already happening? And then when things opened up, there's there those opportunities, because this really is a bright spot in the economy. But because now there is, and this is where I want to talk a little bit about engagement, is because we're we are more accepting of the of the technology assisted transaction communication and otherwise as well. Is it that much more important to have somebody to help us navigate all of this? 
it's still daunting. I still remember every home that I purchased of sitting down with, um, you know, there's certain places, land title had the best pens. Always loved it. It was the only probably positive thing about closing and your hand cramping and signing paper after paper. And you're excited by the time you get in going, what the hell did I just do here? It's still a little bit daunting, even, even at our age. But for these younger people, how important is that facilitated transaction and the involvement of an agent or someone else? Because you and I both know that there are forces within the marketplace right now who are trying to convince us that it is less important. And uh, I would assume that you would assert that it's more important. Absolutely. In fact, we've done surveys and not like small surveys where you survey a few hundred people. We've surveyed <laughs> thousands, over 5,000 people. And what we found is the millennial generation, that, that bubble you're talking about that is emerging back into the real estate space, uh, they want an expert to help them do the transaction. They want an expert to guide them forth with this. They just want to be involved and make sure that they're being as efficient as possible by the use of the technology. So that's really what the technology is about. It's about setting expectations, providing clarity, transparency, trust, communication, you know, just that, that digital presence that they're used to having where they can get answers to their questions without wondering. So the expert still needs to be there. In fact, even with COVID, COVID made the real estate transaction more complicated and more litigious than it was before, created more risk in it for everybody. There's more documentation, things like that. And uh, even, even in um, you know, the mortgage space, there are COVID uh, disclosures that need to occur. So you mean, you mean in terms of, of, of uh, compliance and distancing and, and waivers for those who might be on site? How did that work? Well, both, both that as well as um, you know, are you entering this not knowing whether or not you'll be able to make these payments as a result? Of oh, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, it's a combination of all those things. So, you know, showing a house, obviously, uh, to an extent, you can or can't have an open house, uh, which is a, a big part of the real estate, um, you know, occurrence, if you will. When you list your right. house with an agent, you're like, I want to have open houses. And the agent's like, it really doesn't help you all that much, generally. But, um, but realistically, it's, it's another variable that an expert needs to provide feedback on, regardless of what it is. This, this instance we're talking about is buying or selling a house and the mortgage involved in the title work and, and inspection and appraisal and all those other things. Those are all affected by this. And our industry has done, done a fabulous job with the experts in the industry of figuring out how can we work, or work with this in existence, maintain safety, and security for our, um, our, our people, our uh, customers out there, because you know we have wire transfers going on, we have sure. deposits, we have earnest money, all these things. A lot of that was subject to being um, intercepted by hackers or, or um, you know, a phishing incident or something like that, where people would lose their life savings and there's nothing you can do to get it back. So all of this expertise that the agents have developed uh, has accelerated over the past year, over 2020, where it's it's made them better at what they do. It's gotten rid of some of the people who don't want to get better in order to accommodate this, right. which is fantastic. Every industry needs a little bit of a cleansing to occur. Absolutely. And, and it's helped the consumer um, know that they're getting what they expect to get out of that interaction and transaction. So before I talk about where we're going, where you're going as an organization, where the industry's going and sort of the leadership role that, that I know that Remax is playing in helping to define the changes in the industry, let's go back a little bit. So you have a very unique background of, of where you came from that, that took you to where you are. It's not the normal path that someone lays out as an 18 year old. So, so tell me about your, uh, your previous life and career and I think I alluded to that a little bit in the introduction, but tell me about your, your career in law enforcement. Yeah, so um, I, well, even to go back to high school, the day after I graduated high school, all my buddies were going to party. I, I went to Marine Corps boot camp. So the day after, so the day of graduation, everybody's like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'll be standing on yellow footprints at Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego getting yelled getting at. Getting yelled at, yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say, yeah. So, uh, so I, I went there, I, I spent some time in the Marine Corps reserves after a little bit of active duty time. And, uh, and then I got into law enforcement very young when I was um, in my early twenties. Uh, so I, 
I've worked for a couple different uh, law enforcement agencies, found my home at uh, the fastest growing county in the nation, uh, Douglas County, Colorado, which is where both you and I- oh, Where we, we both live, yeah, absolutely. Exactly, and I mean, talk about a wild ride in um, you know, the ability to grow as a leader because they were very, very heavily invested in their employees. Um, sending you to leadership training, uh, bringing in instructors, giving you quality instruction and great feedback. And it was, it was a great organization to learn at. And I ended up, um, you know, making my way up to be the SWAT commander. So uh, it was just a, a, an amazing organization. I, I uh, had started two businesses while I was there. One was an online uh, government supply organization where um, I mostly would supply uh, law enforcement officers, fire service, things like that. Uh, and then in um, the early 2000s, I was a counterterrorism instructor, um, did a lot of Homeland Security consulting. So I started a consulting firm that um, Remax actually hired my company to teach real estate agent safety programs. And the rest is history as I spent almost 17 years at Remax and now I'm the CEO. So pretty amazing ride. It it is an amazing right. Um, you had you had some uh, a great comment once about the uh, the analogy between the two of what you used to do and metaphorically what you do today. Share that with us. Oh boy! So um, I, I, I no about about breaking down doors. Oh oh, oh well, I love you that. With us, David, I you, it always comes better from you. I'm, no, it's this was from our conversation before, but it made me laugh that that you, you had you had said something like before you used to do this and now you still do it, just do it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, breaking down board doors and breaking down barriers in business, um, blowing things up and blowing up uh, conventional theory. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun when you look at the parallels in life because a lot of people always ask me, well, what's law enforcement got to do with business? It has everything to do with business. You meet people. You determine their challenges, you earn their trust and confidence, and you solve their problems. And, and that's really what public servants do. Um, they, they show up at your, you know, at your house, your apartment, your car crash, wherever it might be, and they, they figure out what's wrong, who needs help, and they help you solve those problems. But think about business, because that's what we do, is we solve people's challenges in business. And if you're not willing to unpack those challenges and give it your all be be that um that servant in society you're going to struggle with it because all you're doing is thinking about yourself instead of thinking about them well and listen you talked about some of the leadership training that you that you uh were able to avail yourself of earlier in your law enforcement but i also know that you have been voracious in terms of your learning about leadership and finding ways to synthesize that through your own experiences to uh, to espouse that. Now it's a lot. It's daunting enough to take over an iconic brand from an iconic leader, but you also spend um, an extraordinary extraordinary amount of time learning and teaching and building your people. Tell me more about your mindset there. So the uh, I, I met the founder of Remax, Dave Linegar, had to be close to twenty five years ago now, and I, I was talking to him and he said, "You have some leadership potential." I said, "Well, will you mentor me?" He said, "Absolutely." I said, well, okay, what advice do you have for me? He said, I'll start with this. I will mentor you, but you have to be a sponge. I said, so I need to go and absorb a bunch of stuff. He goes, no, you need to give back. He said, a sponge picks things up. It, it, it finds things to absorb and then it gives them back where necessary. So that was one of the key aspects of leadership that I got from him. And then built into that, I went to the Marine Corps Leadership Institute, which is the U.S. military has great leadership training. So there are a lot of different principles in there. And one of the key principles I learned from that is one of the key tenets of, of uh, Marine Corps leadership is E, enthusiasm. So there's, there's this big, long acronym that describes leadership there. But the one thing that I think is most important there is enthusiasm. Because if you have enthusiasm and you have this hunger for learning and giving back, take those two things and put them together, there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't do. So really what I, what I got out of all of that was if you're not learning and growing every day, you're giving up and dying. So that's, that's kind of how I start my day. That's my podcast is called Start With a Win so that I am always reminded 
that a great leader is always finding those little, not massive things, but little tiny things to learn and give back to help people make that little incremental improvement. So how do you see your role as the head of this organization? I mean, you've got one aspect, which is uh, how you're engaging with your people and motivating them. And you've got some performance metrics that you have to meet through their performances. But you also have a strategic role in terms of some of the strategic acquisitions. And I want to I want to make sure that we pivot a little bit and talk about, oh, God, I said the P word, didn't I? I did. Um, but talk about uh, what what are some of the new engagement tools and where do you th- see the industry going? But first, talk about your role and, and, and how do you balance it? How do you see your role within the organization in terms of the people part and the strategic part? Well, David, one of the biggest challenges that we have is in our own head. We have this fear, this fear that we're going to miss out on an opportunity someplace. And that's actually what tears businesses apart, is people get hyper-focused on what am I missing? What should I be devoting more time to? And people get deluded and they get distracted as a result of that. My job as a leader is to continue to keep people focused on that North Star of where the organization needs to go. You look at Remax, for instance. Really, we do three things. We sell franchises, we recruit and retain agents, and we collect money to run the business. And ultimately, you should be able to break down your mission into something so simple as that, that you can keep, as a leader, you can keep everybody in your organization focused on that. Now, how do they stay focused on that? They align with their values. Our employees know their values Um, it's more, M-O-R-E, deliver the max, be customer obsessed, do the right thing, and everybody wins. That's what M-O-R-E stands for. So, um, you know, it's it's a function of giving people confidence to stay focused and consistent on the things that need to be done. And then my job is to take a strategic look at it and say, what are the small changes, those little bitty improvements that we need to make in order to accommodate technology, changes in litigation or society, or uh, you know any the consumer desires and needs, uh, their trust capacity for businesses, things like that. How do we combine all those things together? My job is to say, everybody focus. Let's stay here. I'll build in those little changes, and we'll get there. Now, how do you? But how do you get your arms around it at scale? I mean, you got a business. You got a business where you got multiple coffee shops or something. It's one thing, but when you have, how many agents do you have? Uh, and what's the terminology you use from a, a corporate perspective? Are, are they franchisees specifically? Are they people who, who are agents through a particular franchise? How many people within the organization worldwide? So Remax is actually six companies and we'll get into that here in a second. When sure. The acquisitions, but, but ultimately we're a franchising company. Remax is, we have about 8,400 franchisees which are, you know, think about each franchisee is a, a real estate. Is, is an office, right? Yes. Got it. And then how many agents throughout the system? Over 135,000. So when you talk from a, a leadership perspective, what are some of the mechanisms from, an, from and, and we'll call them employees, but they're not, an employee engagement perspective. Um, what are some of those mechanisms? You mentioned before the uh, the Start With The Win podcast, how are you communicating? Because we talked about this once before, you have mechanisms in place. I mean, most organizations fall short in terms of communication from the ivory tower. Yours is constant, it is relentless, it is it is positive, it is pervasive in their lives. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper because we we can't call them employees. Right, and I, and I, I knew I had to make sure I get that one right, but. Independent contractor regulations, which is even more of a challenge because I can't tell them what to do. Um, so I, we don't have daily oversight into their operations, their activities, things like that. If they wanna stay in bed all day, that's on them. Um, I have no say in that, nor do I wanna have any say in it because we want these motivated hard chargers that wanna get out there and light the world on fire with their ability to, to buy and sell real estate and market and communicate and connect and things like that. So what we do is, I'm present as an influencer for them. So what they see me doing, they they look and they watch and they they see me repeatedly go after this. Like in the morning, um, you know, when we when we exercise, 
uh, when, uh, when I'm putting out a video that talks about a leadership principle, things like that, it keeps them growing and thinking to go back to what Dave Linegar said about be a sponge, I'm giving back at that point. And the more I give back, the more likely to be influenced by that give back they will be and the more likely to take those actions themselves that they will be. So um, a great leader has to be present, has to be trustworthy, has to be transparent, has to be somebody that causes you to say, I want to do what they're doing because I like the results that I think I can get out of that. So that's that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, but and but from a model, and I and I I didn't mean to go to a place where it, it put you in a position because clearly they are they are not employees. But that even makes it more of a challenge, doesn't it? Because when they are responsible for their time and their success and their motivation, how important from an engagement perspective is keep checking in because certainly during challenging times, daunting times when they're, they've got their kids at home being taught or whatever else because they can't be in the school, that motivation, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but I mean literally motivating them to get up and do the work that they need to do to be successful for themselves and their families. How much more important is that in a very dispersed business model? Incredibly important, David. I mean, people people want to go to an environment where they can be as successful as they want to be, not where they're being told to do something. So when they get to that environment that they can become successful in, they have to, they look around and they go, what should I be doing now? So uh, a lot of them, when, you know, they revert to their, let's call it their set point. What, what are they used to doing? Because it's easy. They've done it. And it's, it's, there's less pain involved. That might be eating a bag of chips or getting on, you know, social media and thumb surfing for a while. Our job as a leader is to get them to that environment, excuse me, to that environment, get them to break loose from that desire to go to the easy place and right. go to those little bitty disciplined items that you and I both talk about so much in, in uh, you know, when we give talks and when we talk about how to treat the consumer consistently and correctly and things like that. So uh, essentially, my goal is to get them to just realize that I am somebody who's a leader. I can do these things and I will go consistently execute on those through my systems and habits. That and you're modeling it for them. What, what that daily consistency, because it's even not even just the habits and people spending two hours on TikTok when they could be actually supporting their family. But in some cases, this mental paralysis even sets in and they, they literally get paralyzed because they don't know what to do next. And I think, I think your diligence and consistency models that for them as well. Well, we, we all have these things called mirror neurons and we will copy what we see at in somebody that is an influencer to us. So you think of like a baby and when, when the parents, you know, they smile at the baby, the baby learns to smile back. Um, you know, the, you, you go out and you put your knuckles out and the baby tries to figure out how to do that. It's, it's the same thing. So um, we as humans, it, it's genetically programmed into us to try and copy something that we think is good for us, is progressive to us, or that keeps us from getting hurt, one or the other. So, um, you know, we, we as leaders need to be willing to put ourselves out there to be uh, present and transparent in doing that. And then, um, you know, those that see us doing that are more likely to activate their mirror neurons because it's not going to happen just once. You can't go out right. there and go, right. do this. And they're like, okay. I mean, it, they need to trust that that is beneficial to them, that they can do it, that it's you know, it's a safe place for them to operate and, and then they'll try it and they might fail, but they need to know it's okay to fail and do it again until they figure out how to do it. So, uh, you know, it's just like right. riding a bike. But you also know that the right people will gravitate and will, will take that inspiration. Let's, let's talk about your, your customers. Let's talk about buyers and sellers. What have they, what it, not just the changes in the millennials, and we've talked about that to an extent as well, but for all of us, I mean, we've all learned to, to be a little more impatient, a little more demanding because companies are so responsive and some of the mechanisms allow for that. What have you as a company, as a workforce, learned about how we've learned to do business differently, what we've come to expect from others who can do things instantaneously and others. And how is Remax responding to that? And how much, and how, I'll even give you this, I'll give you a softball here as well. How is Remax leading 
that into what the new next or the touchless tomorrow, whatever you want to call it? Well, I, uh, David, the first thing that, that everybody needs to realize is that old saying, I think it was Nelson Mandela said, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think it was Dale Carnegie, by the way. Dale Carnegie? Right, maybe so. It could have been, but, but I'm sure Nelson said it as well. And I'm going to get in really big trouble with all of your fans who say, did you really just correct Adam? We love him. All right, well. I, it, was, it, was, it was something like, it was, it was one of those people. or I one of know, them. I, I do know Nelson did say this other, this other uh, quote um, that if you talk- Whatever to you him, say, I'm not going to correct you anyway. So go okay. ahead. All right, so David Averin said, if you, uh, no, this was- I think this one was Nelson Mandela too. I don't know. These are quotes. Or that it are doesn't really matter. Quotes. I mean, take us off track. Go ahead. <laughs> so if you talk to a man in his language, you touch his mind. If you talk to him in his words, you touch his heart. So, you know, you've, you've got that combination where people want to be communicated with and they want to be communicated with in the words that they know, not in the words that you know to describe your business. Right. Where you are super technical and you are uh, overwhelmingly professional or you're confusing because you're using big jargon and things like right. that. Or, or posturing because you're using internal jargon. That doesn't, that doesn't help right. that sense of trust either. It's the situation of self-importance that somehow everybody, you know, when they get a, a title, a certification or something like that, they have to, you know, display for everybody. But, um, but people don't care about that. They want to know that you care about them and their feelings and their challenges. Ultimately, home buying and selling is a challenging situation. It is ranked, moving is ranked as the number one most stressful thing you can do, okay? I mean, I, I think people would choose public speaking or death over moving a lot of yeah. And And we know the statistic is 93% of people are scared to death to get on stage in front of a group of people. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what the, the statistic is, as far as fear of buying and selling a house, but it is probably above that based upon the fact that everybody. Well, it's based on the fact that we know what's at stake. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a momentary. We, we all joke about the, uh, the fact of speaking and you're a great speaker yourself and, and, and you're on stage doing what you do, but this is different. This is profoundly important. This transaction, getting it right on the buyer or seller side is profoundly important. You've got, well, you, what's, you have, what's changed and what's the same and how are you responding to that? Well, one is we just, we realize what's at stake here and we openly discuss what's at stake. And we say, look, my experience has shown me these things. Um, and, and ultimately the, the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional is willing to be transparent and set expectations for you ahead of time in a manner that you're willing to receive and understand. An amateur is going to hide from those things until they show up and they blindside you. And, and hope they don't. And just, yeah, right. Yeah, they, they're, they're the ones who go, oh, I got away with it. And you don't want that. It's like if you go buy a car, you're like, what's wrong with this car? If it's used or whatever it is, what are the problems with it? And somebody be like, I oh, know it's good. But I mean, you, you take a step back and go, well, wait a second. Um, you know, I drove it off the lot and the transmission fell out of it or something of that nature. And, and you go, why didn't you tell me? And they, they were afraid to tell you because they didn't want you to change your mind. The reality is not telling people about something that's a problem is always going to catch up. So the, the beauty that I, I love about working with somebody who's done so many transactions is they'll say, look, you can tell me how you think this needs to happen, but I'll tell you based upon my experience how it is likely to happen. And and this, let's, let's just agree to be transparent and understand what the challenges are here. And if we understand what the challenges are, we can probably avoid those. And this can be a pleasant, smooth situation that is not going to blow up in our face and, and cause us issues. Because your, your investment is two things in buying and selling real estate. It's two things. One is money. Okay. Obviously, this is the largest financial investment that most people make. And two, it's happiness. Happiness. This is one of the largest happiness investments that most people make as well. From an engagement perspective, how do we engender that sense of confidence and trust differently than 10 years ago? And how are we going to do it differently a year from now? 
because because you know at the end of the day it's still there's multiple choices we're being told by others that we don't necessarily even need a facilitated transaction but even among the real estate community there's no shortage of choices you have a dog in the race here but from uh from a customer from a buyer seller perspective how are you as a company leveraging what we know today and how we engage to engender that sense of trust at the outset differently than you might have 10 years ago? Well, David, I have, a, I have a saying I use a lot, and that's presence creates trust. The more you're around for someone to see, for them to understand, for them to listen to, the more they're going to decide whether or not you're right for them. Because not everybody's right for you know, each other. Right. That's why you know, we, we pick a spouse that we've dated, we've you know, known as friends, whatever it might be. Maybe somebody set you up. I don't know. But, but ultimately, you, you pick somebody in life for your largest decisions that you have trust for and that you believe will be a mutually beneficial situation, uh, as, as well as you know, both financially and with happiness. So um, how, is present, how has presence changed? How has it been enhanced? How has it been hampered? Well, I mean, it's been hampered through marketing. Everybody got so deeply embedded in, in these feature dumps and, you know, here are the feature and benefits of using my organization, whatever it is. That's not what it's about. It's about how can, how can we make this work for each other? Because I care about you, you care about me. If we mutually care, we care about getting this done right. So, um, so we've gone from just advertising to carry. And like when COVID rolled in, the first thing we got online and said was pull your advertising to everybody and, and stop marketing to people, start caring about them. Yeah. And hopefully you were caring about Agreed. them before, but they really need to know that you care now. And you know, don't call somebody up and go, hey, do you know anybody who's interested in buying or selling their house? I'm in the real estate business. Call them up and go, hey, David, it's Adam. Some weird stuff's going on in the world right now. I just want to let you know that I care about you. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And you're like, Adam, what have you been up to? And I'm like, man, it's all a lot of real estate. And you go, really? I was actually thinking about doing that before COVID hit. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm here for you, man. I'll send you over a few things as to what the market's doing right now. If you want to talk some more, just feel free to reach out. I'm here for you. And I'll tell you, I will tell you, and I will tell everybody as well, you modeled that. We, um, I was going in for sinus surgery and shot me notes and said, let me, I'll bring you Starbucks or something. And I said, what a good guy, what a good guy. But I'll tell you, when I see the comments of others who comment on your podcast and your, and your motivation and the things that you impart to them to keep them on top of things, there is this affection for you from your people because I think they recognize that you model what you teach. So I, I think that that's kudos to you. Let me switch really quickly and talk about, about UX, about that user experience, because that's probably one of the most profound changes across a variety of industries and certainly in real estate. I looked at your, your newest uh, incarnation of your website and so many of those things from Zillow and other that, that you've incorporated into your model. And there's so many of these disjointed things through a lot of other resources uh, that I was was really impressed and surprised at the extent that I could go through your site and find out um, the estimated value, comparable models. Uh, we used to always have to go to external resources for that. So there's some of those things that you are offloading or at least making available to consumers on the front end, understanding that we do a lot of that research on the front end before we even contact. But, but it looks very much like your model is if you're going to do that initial research, we'd rather you do it with us than do it through a variety of third party. Talk to me about sort of that, that, that vertical integration, that, um, that coalescing a lot of those resources so that you can be that one-stop resource for whatever it is that those buyers or sellers need. So when I, when I took over, uh, as CEO three years ago, um, I had just led a, uh, a project to acquire a top shelf real estate technology company. I wanted to, I wanted to replace our technology with, um, and and bring it all in house. So I had complete control over that. So a big part of real estate technology is informing the consumer, giving the consumer the ability to do their own research because that's what people want to be able to do. They want to be involved in the process, so they can you know say, hey, check this out, or I'm gonna I'm gonna favor these things. Can you? Um, take a look at those. So our and we're learning that from a lot of other industries 
And so it makes sense that, that it would infiltrate into this as well. Absolutely. So you take that piece and then um, we also went out and bought a data company. So we have uh, geo rooftop data uh, in the United States and, and a lot of uh, intellectual property around that with regards to what does your house tell me as a real estate agent? So there's, there are hundreds of different data points, uh, public company data points that help our, um, our technology understand better why your house is valued at this and the others in your area are or aren't. So we, we can take a look at all those things. And this is just the beginning of it because we bought several different companies that do this. We also bought an artificial intelligence company that helps our agents. Sorry, I you, you cut out audio right there. You also bought, what was the last one again? We also bought an artificial intelligence company that helps our agents understand when somebody is interested in selling their house. So you, you take different behavioral habits that tell us, hey, Adam, and, and, and it's, it's an app on my phone that says, Adam, you should call David. He's likely to sell his house in the next six months. And what are some, just behind the scenes, what are some of the things that the AI will take in? Is it, is it that I'm that looking at some of my behavioral things that I'm fixing something up or I'm doing searches for, or I got a grandkids that are out of state? What are some of the data points that would lead to some predictive metric that says this person is more likely to move than someone else? That's fascinating to me. It's, it's a combination of hundreds of things, David. And, and the, uh, the machine is constantly learning and telling me, you know, it, and it's, it's not gonna serve somebody up that is like, don't bother me, stop calling me. You know, I'm not interested. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy in my house. It, it's, it's, um, it's very appropriate to help our agents because they're not spamming people out right. there. They're, they're actually pinpointing people who have demonstrated um, different indicators and, and then it you know benchmarks those against MLS data how often do people want to buy or sell things like that because and, and to clarify some of the, the new technology and the the big data coalescing of information it's not in an effort and tell me if I'm right on this not an effort to automate the the, the process it's to give more realistic and valid and relevant information to the agents so they can be better at what they do you're 100% correct. Okay. It's an effort to clean up the noise is really what it is. It's, you know, it'd be nice if, if I, you know, and Amazon is a perfect example of this. Facebook's a perfect example of this. Google's a perfect example of this. But realistically, I mean, if you think about it, and, and let's say you're about to run out of toilet paper, and then here comes the shipment of toilet paper because Jeff Bezos somehow knows that you're about to run out of toilet paper, and you're like, I don't care how he knew this. But thank you, because I forgot to go to the store to get some. So, um, and, and even, you know, like the grocery store or Sam's Club or Costco or whoever, they serve you up those e- emails when they, because they watch how long it is before when you purchased everything. And they go, hey, you might be out of this because the last 12 times you bought it from us, it was this amount of time. But um, I mean, that's just, it's convenience in life. It's like, you know, those refrigerators that'll tell you when you, it's time to get some more milk. Right, right. that's the old, inter, that's the internet of things and right, how many things are communicating. There was that old line from way back in the days, back in my marketing days, where we used to say, half of my advertising dollars are wasted. I know that, I just have no idea which half. This is all about being smarter. I mean, even with some of the online advertising, you can do geo tracking and, and you can, if you know there is, in my world, you know, as, as a speaker as well, if I know there's a certain convention meeting at a Gaylord hotel, of all, I can literally direct ads through Facebook just to people staying within a block who are at that. I mean, it's, it's an amazing time. It just helps us be more effective at what we do. People get a little bit freaked out about the collection of data, but we're walking around with, with, with smartphones all the time. How are you using and what's your vision for how you use technology to help your, your team engage with their buyers and sellers better? What's the, what's the long, longer term vision? Pull out the crystal ball on this. Well, let me just look, look in the rearview mirror for this year, David, uh, because we've, we've built a lot of people on this AI platform. And what we found is that those that are using it are 38% more effective than those that aren't. So um, that right there is a huge, 
huge difference when when you look at um, this because let me let me just give you the side benefit of that. These people have more time with their families. They're independent contractors. They're entrepreneurs. They have more time with their families. They're making more money so that they can support their families and their communities more. I mean, it's just if we can create a, a higher level of efficiency in society for people. Um, then they get to do the things that are more enriching. They're, they're healthier because they have time and motivation to exercise. They eat better because they're not buying garbage um, you know, or, or stopping by for fast food or anything like that. Um, and they're happier and more fulfilled with their families. Let's, let's reduce divorces. Let's reduce abuse. Let's reduce uh, situations that, that are kind of a drag, alcoholism, drug use, depression, things like that. So if we can make people more fulfilled and happier by being more productive and giving them some time back, I call that a win. And it also serves the consumer better because these agents become more efficient for the consumer. So I'm just looking backwards and in, in the near-term circular involvement of society here, all of these little bitty changes are very beneficial mutually across the board. We're talking to Adam Kanto, CEO of Remax Worldwide. What's the residual benefit also from a uh, from the consumer side? Uh, I know a lot of the work that you do is about supporting your team, helping them be more effective. Uh, but for those who are buying or selling, because we are hearing a lot of extraneous noises, we are in almost every industry about there's ways to automate this. You don't need to uh, work with... Uh, what is the residual benefit of creating that ecosystem, that culture on attracting buyers and sellers as well? Well, when you, when you look at um, the impact that home buying and selling has on the GDP, it's the largest impact on the GDP in existence. So you're, we're talking 13 to 15% impact on the GDP, uh, which is amazing. The, the home buying and selling process creates dozens of jobs from construction to paint stores to uh, HVAC people, to roofers, to um, just people in the community, HOA uh, members. I mean, it's the domino effect of housing is huge. It, is, it's, it has not been fully quantified, but I can tell you it is one of the largest economic impacts on society. You can watch how you know, as communities grow up, you have churches, you have restaurants, you have grocery stores, you have boutiques, you have all sorts of different, um, you know, economic drivers behind that. So, you know, it, I'm honored to be part of an industry that gets to give back so much. So um, it's, it's huge, David. One, one of the most intentional and thoughtful leaders out there today. And I think people have enjoyed, uh, and I might be surprised listening to sort of the, the, the depth of the, of the thought that you put behind what you do. I think even from, it's, it's daunting to take over an iconic brand. It's daunting to run it on a day-to-day -day basis, but I think you've infused such a, a large measure of that, of, of the wisdom and what you've learned through, like I said, coalescing all of the, the leadership and the books and everything else. To that point, um, you have your own book coming sometime in 2021 as well. Do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. It'll be mid-2021 is, uh, is kind of the target date. So I've been working hard on it. And thank you for your support, David. Uh, you've given me some great feedback. As a well, and, and, and you know, people are going to be watching or listening to this podcast <clears throat> through 2021 and beyond. So it may already be out for those who are listening to this for the first time. But tell me sort of the thought behind why, uh, why, why are you writing it? Why did you write it? And, and what it is, what does Adam Contos have to add to the, to the conversation? Well, I mean, everybody has the same challenges when they wake up every day. That, that question in your head of should I, do I have to, how can I, things like that. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company or you're, you know, you're a, a police officer pushing a radiator around the city or, you know, you're working in a bank or maybe you're looking for a job. Who knows? Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you're a student. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's I've 
I've been through all these different parts of life. And I, I realized that you have to start your day with a win and you have to build these little wins together. Uh, and there are different aspects to look at from what's emotional intelligence and emotional maturity got to do with that? How do we deal with, with um, crisis decision-making? What's leadership really foundationally about? And what are some of these key aspects that we can take a look at that help us all be better people, have better relationships and, and think about our minds how do we have a healthy mind? How do you be happy, a healthy body and a healthy business? So, um, you know, it's going to focus on where did Adam come from? What has he done? And what lessons has he learned in entrepreneurship, business, going from being a two-time college dropout to get an MBA and becoming the CEO of a public company? Um, you know, it's, you can do it too. And the only thing stopping you is you. And I want to talk about that in this book. Outstanding. The book is Start With a Win. Adam Conto, CEO of Remax. Of course, there are 120,000 plus voracious listeners to his morning podcast, Start With a Win as well. So hang on with me afterwards. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up afterwards. What a great treat. What a great opportunity to talk from a business perspective and, and get some insights into one of the biggest companies and how do you work on the macro level and how do you do it on a micro behavioral level as well? So great, great uh, opportunity to talk to you as well. Listen, my new customer experience book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back was named in Forbes as one of their top 10 business books of the year and one of seven books entrepreneurs need to read. You can pick it up everywhere online, Kindle, multiple languages and all that as well. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. Listen, some of your best ideas, some of the best solutions to your biggest customer-facing challenges are likely found within the creative minds of your own team. Adam knows that. Let me lead your weekly morning huddle conversation. You can learn more about membership in this powerful internal initiative by visiting customerexperienceadvantage.com. Dot com. Be sure to uh, click to like this podcast, subscribe, leave your comments below and click on the little bell icon. You can receive notifications of new episodes. Also, listen, it goes without saying, I'd love to come and present for your group meeting, your conference. You can learn more about my in-person speaking or my live virtual speaking or Adam speaking. I'll refer him as well because he's awesome. And my consulting at davidaveron.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast reminding you that a great customer experience is not really about wow moments. I mean, if we got them, it's great, but business success today is about being an easy choice, a better choice, and being remarkably easy to do business with. I'm David Abern. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button you can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print, as well as Kindle and audiobook, and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.